I remember just thinking the whole time, maybe this is not it. Maybe we're not the right hosts. Why the fuck would anyone listen to two random 23-year-olds ramble about the celebrity news cycle? It is daunting yeah. to hear that sentence, your job doesn't exist yet. But they were bang on. It didn't mm. exist. I don't think you could have been independent podcasters back in what? When we were at uni... 2014, 2015, whenever it was. Teen Vogue is killing it in the US. They are targeting a young millennial female demographic and not treating them like idiots. And I don't understand why that doesn't exist in Australia. I don't understand why there's this entire demographic of women that are being ignored. We were also looking at metrics, seeing that people wanted to consume smart pop culture content. And so we put all of those things together and thought, well, there's a complete gap in the market. There's stuff that we care about. And then there's podcasting that's on the rise. Like, let's throw these things together. The only small gap was we had no idea how to record a podcast podcast or edit it or get that up on the internet. Just that small gap. (laughs) Welcome to the Seize the Yay podcast. Busy and happy are not the same thing. We too rarely question what makes the heart sing. We work, then we rest, but rarely we play and often don't realise there's more than one way. So this is a platform to hear and explore the stories of those who found lives they adore. The good, bad and ugly, the best and worst day will bear all the facets of seizing your yay. I'm Sarah Holloway, or Spoonful of Sarah, a lawyer turned fun entrepreneur who swapped the suits and heels to co-found Matcha Maiden and Matcha Milk Bar. Seize the Yay is a series of conversations on finding a life you love and exploring the self-doubt, challenge, joy and fulfilment along the way. If you haven't heard of the Shameless Podcast yet, I'm so delighted to be able to give you the best podcast recommendation you might ever get. Being the podcast for smart women who like dumb stuff, Shameless speaks to a very special piece of my soul. And it turns out hundreds of thousands of others agree, getting a weekly intellectual and highly entertaining spin on pop culture from the amazing Zara McDonald and Michelle Andrews. Created in 2018 while in their early 20s working as journalists together at Mamma Mia, this dynamic duo now podcast full-time and have grown shameless to 1.4 million downloads in its first year, being named in Apple's best podcast of 2018 and selling out 700 live show tickets in 24 hours, the live shows that just happened last week. So chances are, if you're listening to this podcast, you've probably also listened to Shameless, but you might not have heard from Zara and Michelle about their lives pre-Shameless and all the behind the scenes, which as you know, is my favorite part of CCA. And even if you haven't heard of them, there's a reason their banter has gone viral. So I'm guessing you'll love the chats regardless. So excited to be back here, but with you guys on the other side this time, which I, I know. know is quite rare. Same room as well. I same know. setting, same room. Same I guitars, know. same exercise bikes. <laughs> <laughs> and like regrouping from last time. This is so nice. I feel like um, a lot has changed even since we last sat down and spoke together. When was that? It would have been It was November. end of last year. It yeah, wasn't even that yeah. long ago. And you hadn't gone full time yet. No, so. I hadn't. <gasps> I feel like so much has changed yeah. since we last I got know. together. Which is why I'm even more excited mm. because I, obviously I got a wonderful chance to tell your audience about who I am and everyone in my audience obviously listens to Shameless as well so they hear you guys all the time and they hear you talk about everything that you talk about but they don't know who you are as well I think yeah I don't think there's been much yet on who you guys are behind the microphone so I'm so excited to have the chance to showcase who you guys are behind the scenes a bit more nerve-wracking this way yeah Zara don't (laughs) tell them who you really are (laughs) they'll hate it (laughs) like I think there's probably everyone in Australia actually knows who the Shameless girls are in terms of have listened 
listened to your amazing podcast, but I don't know if you guys have really spoken about yourselves that much. Not a lot. No, probably not so much about like upbringing or background behind the podcast. Yeah. We pre-shameless. Probably yeah, not. Yeah, pre-shameless. So I want to focus on that a lot in mm. way TA. But before we get started on that first section, you know the first question I love to ask everyone is what the most down-to-earth thing is about them. And I think especially because so many of so many people know you guys through the podcast land, which can seem very glamorous. You're often talking about things in the news. It can seem very fancy. You guys are hosts at Mecca land this year. You know, there's some really exciting things going on, but what's the, the super normal side of you behind all that? I would have to say, I know this might sound a bit unusual for this segment, but the most down to earth <laughs> thing about me is my car. Oh, it is a shit box. It is tiny <laughs> and it's a Holden Barina. It's at least, it would be over 10 years old now. It is messy inside. I don't know. I, f- I feel like when I think of people in the media, I think, oh, they almost drive Range Rovers and yeah. <laughs> live in mansions. Absolutely not. I live in a shoebox apartment, which is pitch black all of the time because it's <laughs> wedged between two massive buildings. So Zara and I work in the darkest, dingiest little apartment all day, every day almost. And then my car, it's just, it's just terrible. The number plates peeling off. I always have hubcaps being stolen. Oh, my God. I live Hot a very, I live a very <laughs> yeah, it's like a non-Instagramable yeah. life, but that's fine. I love that though. I think that's a bit that's so interesting because people do get to meet you through the podcast and then Instagram and the Facebook group, but they don't see that side, which no. is why it's so much fun. I love, that's what I love hearing about people. Yeah. And on Instagram, we always see like perfect marble bench tops and all that type of stuff. That is so not my life. I'm also pretty messy. So Zara has to deal with a lot of mess. I'm pretty messy too, though. So I think that's a good balance. As Although you can see, marble- Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Look. you have not seen my house yet. Yeah. <laughs> and my marble bench tops are from Bunnings. They're like Ooh. those big vinyl tiles. Uh. They are not real. Well, I, I mean, I want to work my way up to marble bench tops eventually, but I'm definitely yeah. not there it's yet. In the ten year plan. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, in the yeah. ten year, maybe five, but probably ten. <laughs> <laughs> so Zara, what's um, I most down to earth thing about me, I I am perpetually frazzled. I think on the oh. podcast we give this illusion that everything is well thought out, and we tr- I try as hard as I can in that podcast to be as articulate as I can and to be really calm and well thought out. But every other time that off mic. I am not smooth in the slightest. Like I am clumsy. I break things. And that's not to say I'm some like a hot mess because I hate that narrative. But I am just, I don't have shit together. Like I never know which way I'm going. You often have food stains on your I just drop shit. I am all over the place. In fact, my... She always has stuff in her hair. I swear to God. I'll just walk past a tree and there'll be leaves in my hair. I'm always reaching out to pull fluff out of Zara's hair. My, like two of my best friends just call me Frazzle now instead of, because they was Zazzle and now it's just frazzle because oh. we went traveling together and they were like this is just you're a hot mess no i hate a hot mess she it's not a narrative i don't like Let's a hot mess another thing. word for hot mess it's frazzled i'm just sort of always a bit <laughs> stressed and on edge which is so funny because you both come across as so together so articulate endlessly yeah, not well read. like it's unbelievable <laughs> which is why it's so great because yeah. i do i listen to you and i'm like how do these girls think those things in their brain spontaneously oh my God, really? and express it so clearly see so, i watch people like jacinda Ardern. I watched her interview with Waleed Ali last mm. night and I just thought, wow, someone like that. I wish I could speak that eloquently. That is how you guys speak. Oh. Even the fact well, that you watched that last night, I feel like most of the people on my podcast will be like, who? <laughs> but I think maybe it's we just use all eloquence in the one hour of the week that we're in oh, front yeah. of the mic and the rest of the time we're a bit eloquent. You save it up. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Okay, so first segment is Way TA, and of course, we will talk about the shameless story, but I want to talk about everything pre-shameless first. So right back to where you were your very, very young 
themselves. I love to look at like people's childhoods, if they knew that they'd be creative or into business or into podcasting, if you had any inkling of where you'd end up. Were you cool at school? Were you awkward? Did you guys know you'd end up in journalism? I didn't have any idea. Well, I mean, I'm kind of in two different minds because on one side, when I was really young, I'm talking like five to 10, I used to write TV shows and movies and I used to get my parents and my siblings and cousins to act them out. Wow. And I would be the director and writer <laughs> behind them. And I also do things like I'd make magazines. I used to make a million different types of beauty magazines and write oh blog posts gosh. on the internet. Yeah. So I always had that throughout my childhood where I loved beyond anything else making stories and writing stories. So that's definitely been there for Yeah, for it's a been while. there forever. But then when it came to me actually thinking about what I wanted to do professionally, I would always say things like, oh, well, I want to be a lawyer or I want to be mm. a professional netball player or, I don't know, <laughs> physiotherapist, psychologist. I went through so many different professions that I wanted to do. And it wasn't until I finished year 12 and I got a good score, but I didn't know what to do with it. And I didn't want to go into a law degree because I felt like law was a little bit too boring for I what I wanted to do. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> so no you offense. did arts, majoring in media and communications and politics? Yeah. Uh, you've done your research. Mm-hmm. Oh, I also oh. know about your gladiator sandal phase. Oh, my oh God. My where is goodness. that from? That's, oh, where did I don't that, even, that was the squeeze interview. Uh, yeah, so I yeah, – Pulled out some – some bangs there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm terrified already. So I did go to uni and I did the first two years of my degree and I kind of didn't put any effort in. I didn't really think that I wanted to do anything in particular. I wasn't focused on academia whatsoever. Mm. I was partying a lot, drinking a lot, doing things I should not have been doing at that age. And it wasn't until I like the 25 year old, or 24 year old, <laughs> 25. Now I turned 25. Okay. 25 year old. Shouldn't have been um, doing those things. But I went on a gap year to Europe and I decided that I was just going to explore and travel. And when I was over there, my friend turned to me and said, you know what? You've always done blogging. Like you've always had a blog in some form or another. One time it was a food blog, travel blog. Twenties diary was a thing about life when in your twenties, that was my biggest one. And she said to me, she's like, why don't you write? And I had never really considered writing as an actual career. So when I got back, I really tried to make that happen and yeah, got my first job at Mamma Mia and that led to basically where I am now. That's so cool. I actually read some of the 20s diary Mm. when I was doing my research and I hear you monetize that when you were like 20 to 21. Yeah, I monetized it right before its first birthday, I guess. I I made the 20s diary on my 20th birthday in my bedroom and (laughs) it was pretty deep like you it was you were really how did you find any of those articles i removed them all did you well actually so i went on twitter from the thing to look at some of the articles that weren't on the actual thing and then none of the links worked and i was like damn it yeah but it was cool because it had your little abstracts and yeah i'm gonna go find it it still has like its little logo at the top does it yeah oh my god i need why did you pull them down sorry to become the interviewer in this trio because you guys are so not censorship no you know, like no, the no, no, no. why did I pull them down it's like a huge part of your story and it did well at the time oh it did really well which I didn't realize it's funny I then went into digital media and worked for a women's media company and I then had some type of sense of what doing well actually means in a numbers form. like in a metric yeah in a metric and so I didn't realize at the time when I was that blogging it was awesome. that it was actually doing yeah. really really well and I could have been making really good money from it I pulled it down because it felt 
juvenile. I think yeah. even in your 20s, you do so much growing that I wrote the bulk of those articles when I was 20. So looking back on them at 22 or 23, I was like, God, this just seems so amateurish. <laughs> My language that I'm using, the way that I'm writing just felt so, so shit, basically, that I didn't want that up there anymore. Because you is don't weird. think it represents you as a, Not really. as a writer now. No. And yeah. I guess I at the time I was like, oh, this will be the 20s diary and I'll do it every year until I'm 30. But I just completely lost all passion for it. I'm the type of person as well that I'm zero or a hundred. Yeah. And as soon as I go to zero, I'm just out. Yeah, Sorry, yeah, Zara, just pre-warning. <laughs> this will be mine and mine only. <laughs> so, Zara, I hear yes. you are a little bit of a nerd burger like me. I was like a very um, – I wasn't a quiet kid. I've always been very chatty, but I was always the person that never broke a rule. Like I very much lived my childhood within – like drew in the lines or colored yeah. in the lines, whatever the metaphor is. School captain of um, everybody. <laughs> well, that, that was like my family was quite um, close. Uh, I was really, I grew up very close to my siblings. They were super diligent and very studious. So by the third, third child that came along, it sort of was, there was no other option. Like you just worked really hard and you studied and you played sport and you didn't break a rule because I never saw my siblings break a rule. In hindsight, my brother was breaking a lot of secret rules. Yeah, just my sister, <laughs> my sister still to this day is probably 26, 27. And I think is the least rule breaking person I've ever met. So coming behind that, it was, you sort of like, I would go out drinking at 16 or 17 and I felt like the world's most rebellious person. I was like, <laughs> who, who, who am I? Oh, wow. Um, so I, I think I was probably the creative one in the family. Uh, I hope my siblings aren't listening to that and disagreeing. So that manifested a lot in writing. I was actually very similar to Michelle in that I was the one at home um, making newspapers, like family newspapers or family like post box and everybody's room was like a oh, post box. So um, I used to make my younger brother be the ultimate guinea pig and I used to like make us play game shows Oh yes, without same. without a board, like yeah. we would often. Does anyone remember the show Go Go Stop? Yes. <laughs> we I used to make physical Go Go Stop like pieces of paper, and then we'd turn them and jump. Like it was it was a weird kind of like creative um, outlet for me, I guess. <laughs> but for me, it was always the thread was always writing, and I didn't know what that was going to look like if it wasn't journalism. And I got to uni, and when I'd finished school, and I I kind of weighed up whether I was going to do law. Mm-hmm. My older brother and sister had both gone into law. It kind of seemed like, again, I clearly just followed everything they did. But I wasn't passionate about it and I couldn't see myself doing that. So I went to, to um, uni to study journalism and I got there and they said, if you want to be a writer, you're in the wrong course. Really? Yeah. So you are RMIT. Yeah, yeah, I was. And I it took me a little bit to understand why and that obviously journalism was far more about um you know the world than it was about writing but I sat there and I thought well I don't have a backup plan and I will somehow make these two things work for me my interest in the news and my interest in writing and find a way for it to work uh it just took me a very long time to work out how to do that because I remember sitting in those classes thinking my skill set doesn't fit here I don't Mm. fit here I don't know what my job looks like I don't know what my career looks like um, all these people feel much smarter than me and seem much smarter than me and so passionate and sure of themselves. And I felt quite lost in those early years because I had no idea how I was going to work out what I wanted to do. Yeah, I think so many people feel like that at that time. And yeah. at uni, you sort of think, oh my God, it's not school anymore. Like I'm doing my career here. I have to figure out by the time I graduate mm. where I'm going to start. 
And you kind of think that that needs to be the end. You're like, I need to find what I'm going to do forever. But your job, most of the time, what you end up in is not what you even thought existed when you finished yeah. uni. Like that's part of the journey. Well, the funniest thing is everybody said that when we were at uni, like your job probably doesn't exist now, which is kind of nice at the time. But I still, because I have a, a little bit of control freak to me, yeah. I wanted to know. <laughs> a lot of control freak to me. By the way, <laughs> she you, know says we, you know how we were saying um, frazzle zazzle before? Yeah. I think you've got pen on your nose right See, now. I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> like I probably do and I haven't used the a pen entire today. time you were running through your childhood, I was like, sorry, it's right. pen on Anyway, <laughs> lucky this is, is not a um, a video. <laughs> oh, it's mascara. There you go. Oh, good girl. Terrible at makeup too. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I wanted to know, like, yes, my job doesn't exist yet, but could somebody give me some idea of what could exist so I could find the plan in that? Yeah. Um, it is daunting yeah. to hear that sentence, your job doesn't exist yet, but they were bang on. It didn't mm. exist. I don't think you could have been independent podcasters back in what, when we were at uni? 2014, 2015, whenever yeah. it was. Which isn't actually even that long ago. Not at all. God, no, but it feels like a lifetime ago. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so you also had a WordPress blog at the time. Is that right? Yeah, so I had I had that. Look, writing? the funniest part is I have heaps of random blogs that we made for uni on the internet somewhere that I haven't pulled down. I just don't know how to get into them to pull the crap down. <laughs> so I'm sure there's a lot of the terrible stuff I, out there. I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know yeah. exactly the one you're thinking of. The font is terrible. No, I like it. My tech skills weren't good. It's very fact, stylish. It's still not great. <laughs> um, yeah, but I think for a lot of young people when you were starting out, it was blogs. Like you made a blog because that was how you had your digital footprint. I don't know if they still do that at uni. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if it, would po- if it was podcasting now. Yeah. Um, but then that was the thing you did. And I felt so exposed doing that. Um, I'm a very private person. Generally, I've always been private with my friends, um, which I'm trying to get better at. But creating a blog felt so exposing. Even though I wasn't writing about anything personal, I felt so exposed. Wow. And yeah. that's a major difference between you and me as well. Yeah. Because I'm the opposite. I'm super open. And I really like sharing things because I feel like when I share things that I'm going through, I connect with other people who are going mm-hmm. through the same. And so that's been an interesting uh, territory to navigate, I guess, yeah. between the two of us. And oh, one completely. of us is very, very private. And one mm-hmm. of us is very, very public, almost to a fault. No, not to a fault. You're much better at it than I am. And I guess when we started this podcast I never thought that that was going to be part of the job that I would have to be open about myself I thought it was about the content and that was it Mm. and the sort of further along we've gone I've realized that being quite closed is to a detriment to a the podcast and b the community in that if they can't get to know me then they can't trust my opinions and if Mm. they don't know who I am and the context that colors my opinions then what's the point in being here Mm. so I've kind of got to remove a lot of that ego and say I need to share things in a way that I'm not used to doing, mm. um, which has been really hard, but it, and I'm not good at it yet. I'm not perfect at it. In fact, there's a lot of things we still kind of haven't been able to broach on the podcast yet that I probably should. Um, that, yeah, that will build that trust mm. that, yeah, I'm still in the thick of it, getting better at it. It's all a process though. I think feeling your way through, especially something so public as a podcast or even a blog, but now that podcast is such a big thing, drawing that line of how far you want to share and how much you want to keep to yourself, but you do want to build trust and loyalty, but mm. then you also don't want to overshare and like spill your whole guts on the, you know, on the internet yeah. and have it out there forever. It's a really hard thing to navigate what you're most comfortable with. And especially if you guys are on different pages with it at the beginning, Yeah, even looking 
looking at your blogs originally, Zara's tend to, tended to focus a lot more on events and yeah. your opinions and coverage and interpretation of those that was really personal to you, but it wasn't about you personally. Yeah. Whereas Misha's writing is was a lot more experiential, like I am going through this, this is a thing that lots of people in my position go through, let's navigate those feelings and how I'm processing that as, a, as an experience. So I even noticed that before I before I started yeah. like even thinking about the podcast, just looking at that stage of your lives, you already had that tendency, which is so I, I think that's pretty bang on even still. And yeah, I think that is very much a good representation of how we approach our podcast, which is not good for me. Well, I think it's also a good balance to yeah. have both mm. because I think women in particular do look at the world and look at current affairs through their own experiences. So it's good to have that, but it's also good to come from more of a bird's eye view and dive deep into something from a more impartial, unemotional standpoint. Mm. Yeah. And I've written, I mean, there's certainly things that I've written about in the past. I've written about like, and like I have endometriosis and I've written about that extensively, but a lot of the pieces that I've written have been anonymous. Like I would file them oh. to Michelle at Mama Mia and tell her to change, take my byline off it. Like it's a story that I'm willing to share and I'm story, I'm, I'm more than happy to sort of uh, communicate through words and even sort of make sense of myself through words, but I don't want my name on it. Yeah, that's so interesting. Which is weird. It, look, I just, no, it seems like such a hang up. No, I don't think so. And I think yeah. it's interesting that you do kind of expect journalists, especially in this day and age, to be like tell all, share all, but there's something to keeping a little bit for yourself mm. as well, which we can talk about a little bit later yeah. on. But I think having one of each of you probably adds a depth to the podcast that means you are covering both views and you're not always just coming at it from a personal point of view yeah. because that's where you do build loyalty in the audience because they know you're not, they're not just going to get what two people think from their personal perspective all the time. I hope so. Hmm, I think same. it's nice to have both because if Definitely. it was just me rattling off about all my emotions and feelings, <laughs> people would get very annoyed. And if it was me not saying anything, nobody would feel engaged <laughs> yeah. or connected to the show at all. I think it's such a nice balance. Yeah. <laughs> so Zara, your first job was at Domain, is that right? It was actually at Mamma Mia. Oh, yeah. okay. I was at Domain most recently. Oh, yes. Okay, so, that's right. Yeah. So sorry. So you both met when you first got jobs at Mamma Mia. Is that the first place that you really were exposed to podcasts? Uh, yeah, it was. We we had always spoken kind of very casually about our goal to one day have maybe a podcast together. And Zara and I worked so, so closely together. We had our backs to each other in our little uh, pod of desks at mm. Mamma Mia. And we just had <laughs> these really good conversations. We, we It would have taken us maybe six months to really become friends, I think, because we were on different shifts and everything like that. But once we started working on weekends in particular, we would always be nutting out different angles for stories that we want to cover. And first and foremost, when you work in digital media at the moment, the the climate means that that conversation has to be what will people click on. So the conversation between Zara and I was always what will people click on, but also what will they actually get something out of and what mm. will be good content. And I think from those conversations, that's really where the podcast was born, I guess. Mm. We, we would always talk about things like The Bachelor and feminism and all different. <laughs> different kinds of things and it wasn't until the head of podcast at the time Monique Bolley overheard a conversation between the two of us and the idea was drifted I'm not sure by us or her that we, batch chat? yeah mm. that we should host batch chat and so it was only a 10 minute podcast a couple of times a week about the bachelor and that was where everything started because we never had any intention of ever like I had never any intention of my career looking like it does now. I always thought I wanted, I was going to be a writer. Like I was going to have my head in my computer and I would be typing for the rest of my life and I would be totally content with that. I feel like you were the same. Yeah. I feel like I was, I've always been very open to the idea of whatever. Cause mm. I know that 
the media is always changing. So in my head, as long as I'm involved in some way, shape or form, whether that's TV, broadcasting, writing, I don't really care. I love it all. Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting. I, I don't love care, how yeah. literally the idea came from the strength of your banter mm. and someone overhearing. <laughs> I feel like that's overstating it a little bit. <laughs> no, mm. but the fact that Bat Chat started as a way for you guys to cut your teeth on broadcasting the chats that you were having anyway means that it wasn't formulated backwards it wasn't like we want to start a podcast that we want lots of people to listen to so we're going to pick topics that are really controversial and be controversial for the sake of it no you're you've gone the actual organic way like grassroots up of we were chatting about this anyway someone heard us they thought it was entertaining and we got given a show yeah it's true and even when we we did batch chat that it was there was a lot of freedom with batch chat probably to the company's detriment at the time (laughs) because they said all right you've got and there was often nobody in the office at this point we would go to the studio we'd watch the show we'd go to the studio and we would sit there and we talk about the bachelor for three minutes and then we'd sort of extrapolate from that some like overly deep probably irrelevant conversation about <laughs> feminism and suddenly they asked for a bachelor podcast and we somehow we accidentally gave them something way too political we went so rogue yeah every single episode. <laughs> but that's yeah. what, amazing i love that and i love that you guys got paid to watch the bachelor and talk about it oh, oh yeah. we were pretty stoked with it too. <laughs> in fact that was a dream job imagine we should do it again yeah. <laughs> and so the idea for shameless came out of that kind of experience right like knowing that you guys operated really well together in that forum and yeah. then sharing your views was obviously getting a lot of well, listens we, we saw that when we were working together on saturdays that the content that we women were reading was also the content that we really enjoyed having verbal conversations about Mm -hmm. so we'd always see that the most read stories of the day were smart analysis on pop culture whether that was the bachelor or whether it was love island or i don't know instagram culture whatever we saw that women clearly had an appetite for this stuff but there wasn't actually a podcast out there and we know that women love listening to podcasts because i am a woman and i adore it i'm busy all the time but my ears are never really that busy so (laughs) while i'm going about my day she doesn't listen to what anybody (laughs) else Whenever Zara talks, I just put a podcast in and just pretend she's not there. I don't blame you. No, but driving to different things, cooking, cleaning, doing whatever, going about your life, going to the gym. You have so much time in your day to actually consume podcasts that you don't have for other types of mediums that require more attention and focus and your Mm. undivided attention. I just remember towards the end of our time at Mamma Mia, we were both doing late night shifts and we would get in the back of an Uber because I would drop Michelle home on the way and this is where a lot of our conversations about what next would happen like in the back of that uber and i remember the the consistent thread that kept coming up was i kept saying like i'm so confused teen vogue at the time this was probably early 2018 maybe teen vogue is killing it in the u.s like they are targeting a young millennial female demographic and not treating them like idiots like they're writing really smart political coverage and i don't understand why that doesn't exist in australia i don't understand why there's this entire demographic of women that are being ignored so we were doing batch chat we were we were also looking at metrics seeing that people wanted to wanted to consume smart pop culture content and so we put all of those things together and thought well there's a complete gap in the market there's stuff that we care about let's and then there's podcasting that's on the rise like let's throw these things together the only small gap was we had no idea how to record a podcast or edit it or get it up on the internet just that small gap of <laughs> oh i had that small this? Gap. <laughs> i think that most people who start podcasts know the idea they want to yeah. propagate and have no idea about the actual podcasting yeah. but that comes yeah. second like yeah. you can figure that out from google and youtube it's fine <laughs> yeah so 
then you guys launched in March 2018 after one of these Uber chats yeah. and Shameless has now become the podcast for smart women who like dumb stuff. It has. Which I think is such an amazing way to describe the gap in the market because it's true. We love, like have this voracious appetite for pop culture Sugary stuff. content. Yeah, that sounds dumb, but you want the smart analysis that really gets your brain going and ties yeah. it to actual issues. And because it's not stimulating otherwise, it's just like, oh, that's a, you know, tabloid magazine version, which yeah. is just dot points of what happened. You want like the deeper, gritty stuff that you guys really investigate and do such an amazing job at. So how does that feel? Like how how did you – I do know that Mamma Mia was pitched the idea and said no, which, oh, my God. Yep. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> like yes. most good ideas do get rejected a yeah. couple of times before they take off. It was off, rejected so. a few times. Oh, we didn't more want once, to do yeah. it alone and we didn't want to do it independently. We wanted to have the backing of, of a, a network behind us, A, to give us faith in the idea and B, to help us out with equipment and editing. We were 15 weeks in when we still would have been pitching this to networks outside of Mamma Mia and no network really took it up. We had a couple of meetings with different ones, but it just wasn't the right fit. Some networks never got back to us. And in the long run, that turned out to be the biggest blessing possible because it meant that we could not only have full creative control, but then also monetize it in the way that we saw fit. Yeah, well, exactly. And I remember when it was rejected and we knew it wasn't going to go ahead with Mamma Mia, Michelle and I sat down and we wrote a list of all of the things we needed to do and learn um, before the launch. And there was... I like three pages worth and Michelle said right so we're launching in five weeks and I was like we don't even have a microphone yet nor do we have software I think we launched in six I think that was our compromise which is usually how the conversation works Michelle's like very gung-ho and is like we can get this done and I'm like oh can we find give give me an extra week and we'll get it done so we did and what did that involve like was it literally just Googling the equipment that you needed, doing tutorials, asking others. We were so lucky in that we did have Monique Bowley, who was integral in getting this podcast off the ground. She had left Mamma Mia at that point. She's the head of podcasts at the ABC. And she gave us everything we needed to know, basically, and said, I'll mentor you. Well, yeah, oh, she's incredible. I could not speak more highly of someone where they have so much on their plate to also open up that plate to these two young journos who just want to give it a crack and she and just, backed us. And to keep saying all along, this is a good idea and you could do it because we were really young, maybe like 22 at the time and or 23, and I remember just thinking the whole time, like maybe this is not it, maybe we're not the right hosts. Why the fuck would anyone listen to two random 23-year-olds ramble about the celebrity news cycle? And to have someone in your corner saying, no, this is it and you're going to just do it is invaluable and I don't think if we had that, if we didn't have that, I, I don't think that this would exist. And it's crazy because it's been 12 months and I cannot believe how much we've learned and how much has happened in the last year. It's crazy to think that the next year might have a whole new host of either problems or successes or milestones <laughs> or whatever. <Luckily> problems. <laughs> yeah, but that is, that's the thing, yeah. right? Like I think people often see the successes of the podcast and any public, I don't know, business or venture like this, but they don't see the frazzles of things the crowd. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Which is why we have the NATA section. Yes. <laughs> so when you did start, did you have any idea of how it would turn out? What did you kind of expect what would have been your wildest dreams and have you surpassed that uh i say i don't know i think when we go into something like this together we didn't put a ceiling on it all no. we knew was that we were absolutely determined to make it work yeah so when I look back at the last 12 months now. I do think, wow, that's pretty great. Like, I'm really happy with what we've done. I feel really really fulfilled. Yeah, exactly. But at the same time, I also know that we were 
really gun ho in how we pursued this. We were printing off posters and putting them back on the back off of posters. toilets in unis. Mm, yeah. Right? I saw yeah. that. I was like, wow, what a way to launch. Absolutely. We almost didn't give this an opportunity to fail. I mean, yeah, you can market all you want, but at the end of the day, if people don't like the content, they're not going to come back. Mm-hmm. And this has been our number one priority yeah. since day one. And so I feel like, yeah, it, it, it's lucky. Of course, luck comes into it. Of course, privilege comes into it to have contacts like Mons. But at the same time, we put so much energy into this podcast behind the scenes to actually get it into people's ears, to have that that bridge between people hearing the name Shameless and wanting to actually press play. It is funny because we actually had never had a conversation about what we wanted it to look like. At the start, it was, let's put this on a resume. There can't be anything better than having the, the look of uh, editing your own podcast, starting it from the ground up. Like that can't be a bad look. But Michelle is, like she said, zero one hundred. My mum from the very youngest age, I think she was talking about cleaning my room, but regardless, I used it for work. Was if you're going to do something, <laughs> do it properly. Yeah. Um, and so from the start, even if this was for our resumes, we were going to do it properly and it was the priority. Um, and we kind of, like she said, we didn't give it an opportunity to fail. I just remember like it consumed and still does, but it always consumed from the start, even when it was listened to by 500 people, it consumed all of our energy. We would sit out for dinner because we were both working full time or by that time, Michelle was freelance and I was working full time and we would sit out for dinner and we would have our computer up and we would be setting targets like so it's such embarrassing targets now that we it's a cute story now to look back on but at the time if people found those spreadsheets of how we wanted to map out the next 10 weeks and then the 10 weeks after that it would be so embarrassing yeah and we have done that since day one so yeah we launched this podcast and it sounds all very like frivolous and fun we have had targets Every 10 weeks since day one. Uh, for every metric you can imagine. So it's like downloads, engagement, Instagram, Facebook. Like how are we growing this and how are we being so deliberate about it? Um, which we never would have admitted at the time because when you have a podcast that nobody is listening to, nobody wants to know that, that you, you have, have metrics. Yeah. <laughs> and also, but like, no, I feel like there's this tendency for people to not talk about the strategy behind things. Oh, This totally. has been so strategic. Yeah. Like, we want to sell the happy accident out. story. Oh my God. And the, the magic, which is like amazing. We've just thrown this together and- it That's couldn't be further from the yeah. truth. Like the way that the podcast is structured, sorry if I do do this, Michelle, and ruin the magic of the show, but the the way that the podcast is structured is so deliberate, even from how was your week. Um, there is reason behind everything we do that and we have real justification as to why we structure things how we do and we always have. Yeah, and there's also a reason behind why we never discuss a segment before we actually talk about it on yeah. the podcast. We've Ooh, really so thought fresh. through, oh, we that's exactly why because at the very beginning we'd want to talk about it and then flesh out exactly what the segment would look like and who'd make what point and who'd take what side. Now we decide on the topic. Like I would almost send her a story and be like, okay, this is the headline of the segment. And that's it. Don't talk about it. Don't wow. talk to me about it. Don't tell me what you're reading. So we come into it with our own set of notes we sit down we've got dot points maybe like a few dot points about different things that we want to say and I have no idea going into every segment what Zara thinks or what that she's going to write. That is so at. cool. Yeah. I think you can actually tell that in a way. Like yeah. even though you would guess that people wouldn't be so naturally able to cover those topics in the way that you guys do without having kind of chatted about it before, now thinking about it, that's one of the reasons why it is so amazing because it comes off as like fresh, genuine 
when you don't agree with each other, it just comes across as genuine debate about yeah. the different things that come up as you're talking about it that you obviously hadn't thought would come up. Well, we don't want it to feel manufactured. I feel no. like it's really boring to listen to podcasts where you feel like people are reading from a, a sheet script. of paper yeah, or totally. people know, are playing into roles. Like, yeah, of course, sometimes we do settle into one side and the other just to make it an interesting debate and to sometimes play devil's advocate. But that always happens organically and naturally. Yeah. There's nothing worse than listening to something feeling like it's been manufactured for the listener. Yeah. I also feel like you're not always on on the same side as well like you're not no. always one one's left one's right or one's whatever like it's really unpredictable what you're going to yeah. say so sometimes one of you will interject and be like oh actually but what about this and I'm like whoa last time <laughs> she was the other way like she was you know less liberal or whatever it is yeah so it was funny even in the last episode we did there was a point that I was making and as I was making it I was like mm, shit Michelle's not going to agree with me so I kind of over justify the point and then I finished and she said I feel like you thought I was going to disagree with you but I 1000% agree with you and I thought oh god I didn't read that well at all I didn't have to defend myself yeah. <laughs> but that is so cool to hear that there was a lot of strategy into it yes. because I think that happy accident story is lovely it's really inspiring it can be really motivating and relatable for people who do feel like it's a really long way away for them to achieve their goals or start a podcast from scratch but it's important to know that you don't hit a million downloads in a year from not planning and like, it's also not realistic i feel like with the way that social media is in 2019 and you algorithms you need to find a way to cut through yeah you can't just do it anymore you can't just put content out there and just hope people stumble across it mm. the, i reckon it's 50 percent content and 50 percent strategy yeah. behind the totally. i guess the recipe of what makes shameless and shameless media and but, i also think you don't want to take away the fact that you do put a lot of work into it it isn't just like oh look we have so many listeners because we just put our stuff out there and they love us you actually worked really really hard to get that audience it wasn't just yeah. didn't come easy it wasn't like overnight oh we launched a podcast and now we're really famous like <laughs> which is still not the case but there was I mean I remember we would have a good week and we would get to the Monday and we'd be like that was a good week of downloads and before we even had time to settle on that or breathe we would be like okay how do we grow it next week and what are we pushing out um how do we seed this out I remember walking on a lunch break just on every like domain lunch break and it would be I'd be on my phone talking to Michelle or on the phone talking to Michelle because it did sort of eat at all of our time and all I would be thinking is I would walk past young women my age and be like how do I get this podcast in your ears and it sounded it sounds so weird now like I was staring at people my age being like (laughs) how do I make this podcast on my phone get into your ears but that was what we were thinking all the time and what we were thinking on zero budget yeah we're not we weren't using money really at all to seed this out we we dabbled in Facebook advertising for a little bit but we're talking like $30 a week between us so $15 budget per week (laughs) that's amazing just for printing poster printing no but I'm not kidding I'm not kidding it cost us I know for a fact $76 to print off the 200 posters per day at office work so even down to the dollar we weren't on huge money we needed to figure out exactly how we were going to do it on a budget Mm, that's amazing so you guys have done like such an incredible job of intellectualizing pop culture and celebrity news in a way that makes me like I don't need to read anything else now I'm just like what's (laughs) happening in the world I'm just going to listen to Shameless on Mondays (laughs) and in a way that belies your young age as well I think one of the big things that can be difficult when you're younger and starting something that does talk about politics or things in an intellectual way is that you get the skepticism that comes with being so young and you guys managed to do that in a way that does access all age groups that doesn't cut off anyone and make it be you know just targeted towards millennials or just targeted towards a particular age group people who are older than you would still be able to see your views as valid and not think oh they're just from the younger generation which Mm -hmm. is a very very hard thing to do but you've managed to grow your audience to as I mentioned a million downloads which is just 
out of this world. 40,000 downloads to 100,000 downloads a week. You got, got on Apple's list of best of 2018 podcasts and are both now full-time, which is mm. absolutely amazing. So Zara moved to Domain and then just recently went full-time. Yeah. Mish has Michelle Andrews Creative and has been freelance for a while now. Now that you're both doing this as your job, how does it feel? Crazy. Yeah. <laughs> crazy, exhausting, amazing, I think. It's crazy to think that Zara's only been freelance for four weeks because the the changes and the things that have yeah. happened in the last month have just been out of this world. Exciting, but also draining, I guess. Yeah. Is that the word to use for it? Disorienting, I think. Like I don't know which way to look or mm. which way is up, but that is really great. And I feel very lucky to be able to like do – what I want to do. I mean, outside of when I was working full-time and doing Shameless, Shameless was still work and it was exhausting doing it on top of a job, but it was still kind of my outlet, like my creative outlet that I think I would have really struggled with had it been snatched away from me. So to be able to use that creative outlet and think, well, this is my job now feels surreal. Like it's really, I think, very lucky. I don't think a lot of people have that. Yeah. So what did encourage you both to make that full-time jump? Was it when you got <laughs> to the financially sustainable moment or was it a decision you made before <laughs> that time? Like <laughs> In Zara's case, it was probably more the financially stable it was, environment. In my case, I leapt off a fair bit early, probably more than six months before Zara did. I yeah. think it was in the mm. end. I left it's like August last year. Yeah, July. I think it was end of July or mid-July that I left Mamma Mia. And I did it simply because it wasn't tenable to do both the podcast and work at That's- a women's media company that had a podcast network. It was a weird, odd dynamic I can imagine yeah yeah especially given how successful it was and yeah well it wasn't really that successful yet when we quit I think people were just starting to raise their eyebrows at it like it was gaining small traction and then I think from there we thought what can we do with this yeah Yeah. so I kind of just leapt off because I didn't see myself working in another formal job environment again I kind of thought that I'd go off and do my own thing despite not really knowing what that looked Mm. like yet and I guess yeah, I kind of split my time between freelance writing. I have a column with news.com.au, so column writing and uh, opinion piece writing for News Corp and Fairfax and different publications like that. And then Shameless grew and grew and grew, thank God. For me, it was, <laughs> Otherwise, um, I'd be broke. For me, it was, it was a funny, I think because the industry moved so quickly and, and this moved so quickly, I probably couldn't have planned it. How I, I wouldn't have done what I did had I known what was going to happen, which was I knew at the end of Mamma Mia that there was we were going to have to move and we were going to have to get out because the podcast wasn't working with them. Like it just wasn't happening mm-hmm. and we knew we had to pick one. And so I was applying for jobs and then I got one at Domain, which was a great job. And then I quit and then 24 hours later, Michelle was like, well, if you're not here and we're working on Shameless together, I'll go freelance. And then it might have been six weeks into that Domain job where I thought to myself, I've made a huge mistake here. Not that I'd, I loved the job and I loved the people, but I had completely completely overcommitted myself and yeah doing both the podcast had grown way faster than we had anticipated and me being the one that didn't want to rock the boat and I didn't want to piss people off and I wanted to make sure I saw out that job in a way that wasn't annoying I stuck there for six months to the point when then that six months was up and I went overseas and I came home and I thought okay now is the time to do it I quit my job and everything was set up which worked out very nicely for me Um, but it wasn't even my intention it wasn't like I wanted to make sure we were earning x amount of dollars I think had I known what was going to happen 
back in July, I would never have taken that job. Wow, so interesting. It's always nice to hear when people make the jump and why mm. and what the different reasons are and what that the risk analysis is or where, how circumstances work out. And this is a big difference in our personalities, again, in that Zara is pretty risk-averse in a yeah. good way. Yeah. She always she brings in <laughs> the checks and balances. I don't think being risk-averse is good at all. It's Whereas, so annoying. Well, I'm, You need one, though. Yeah, yeah and I'm fast and loose. Yeah. Like, I am big picture. <laughs> yeah. My mind yes. – like, we'll have a success – a mini success and my mind immediately jumps to okay what's next like that's great amazing what are we then gonna do to top that or how do we then grow again so it's good to have zara keep <laughs> no, us michelle will have an idea and it will make me like physically constrict and i'll be like what the hell like how are we gonna do this and i'll like my my defensive mechanism will come up like my back will go up and i'll be like we're not doing this and then i'll come back to her an hour later and i'll be like okay we're doing this but the, these these <laughs> are the parameters this is the kind of parameters that i'm putting around it <laughs> that's a perfect balance yeah no it does work good. well it does work well that's the beauty of partnerships is that you do work best I think with people who fill your gaps and you fill theirs and you need that balance because otherwise you're overlapping you're going to butt heads and if you have the yeah. same area that's your responsibility you know you need to balance each other yeah. I think it I think it obviously has worked really well so far for you guys so, so far, far. <laughs> <laughs> wow <laughs> so you guys have been particularly amazing possibly because you've come from a journalism background before you started podcasting at being incredibly responsible with the way that you convey things you're very well researched you don't jump into something controversial without having covered all your bases of like making sure you're aware of everything that could come at you. Uh, Now you've entered that strange world where the people you're talking about are listening Mm. to your episode, which is a really weird position to be in, I can imagine. And you still have, have never shied away from making the bold move to cover things that are controversial. So how has that felt for you? How have you navigated the whole like, oh my God, this person's listening right now. Like, how are we going to take it? Mm. In a word, it's kind of sickening when we think about it too much. I think we know it's happening because we've had people come to us who haven't always been happy with certain segments that we've done or wanted to discuss how we covered them or spoke about their life or their career or what they do on Instagram or whatever. If we thought about it too much, I feel like it would infiltrate Continue. It would infiltrate the way we cover it too much and the way that we go about doing what we do. I think we almost need to put it to the side and, and acknowledge that, yeah, it's an uncomfortable reality mm. that the people we're talking about listen to the podcast, but it's an uncomfortable reality that cannot affect the way we work and the way we approach stories. Because if it did, it would make the podcast boring. And it's good to always keep it in mind that you're talking about real people with real emotions. Yeah. But it's also good to keep in mind that it's a story for a reason. Yeah. And if you're discussing something that's really tricky and difficult, yeah, it might not be in that person's best interest, but it might be in the best interest of that person's 1 million followers or totally. 200,000 followers. Yeah. That's why I love that you guys don't shy away from it because the integrity of your journalism is that you're going to cover a story from all angles, whether or not it's favorable to that person, you're not going to go to town on them unnecessarily, but your audience can trust that you're going to cover something and not be like manipulated by, you know, your people's feelings or, or what's, what's going to please everyone. And that's a really bold move to make, but it makes it worth listening to. Well, we hope so. And I think the bottom line is the thing we always come back to is who are we serving in this conversation? Like, are we serving the influencer or are we serving their followers? And we are playing a longer game, not a short game. Like if we have to make one person uncomfortable because we're talking about them for the sake of hundreds of thousands of other girls who are following that person, then that's Mm -hmm. sort of a sacrifice I'm willing to take. But I do think it makes us better at our jobs to know that these people are listening, to make sure that we are fair and not personal, because I don't think being Mm -hmm. personal helps any 
anyone. It also probably is what makes the podcast so powerful is that if you are discussing these issues and the person needs to maybe hear some different perspectives that aren't coming back to them through other mediums, it's even more awesome that your listenership includes people who might need that message delivered. Yeah, and I mean the slogan that we've reeled out time and time again is play the action, not the woman. If you yes. don't like what she's done, let's talk about what she's done and what she said or posted or whatever. And let's Not talk about is. it in the bigger game of that trend. Because no one's ever really going out on no. Instagram and saying something really controversial without that being a broader trend or a broader cultural movement of other people saying similar things or for that thing to be okay and be unquestioned. Well, it's so rarely often. an anomaly. Like it is usually um, indicative of, of something. Yeah. yeah. And there's always context around it. And also, if we're talking about, I don't know, like uh, influencers like hypersexualizing themselves to a younger audience, well, it's kind of unfair to hold this influencer to account for the entire patriarchy that's making them feel like yeah. they need to take their clothes off. Yeah. So I think keeping those things in the back of our mind is very important. Yeah, you got, and you guys are always so good at providing context that makes sure that it's not just like a personal attack on anyone, which is, again, I think why you do strike a really good balance between being really honest and open and authentic and saying things regardless of being influenced by influencers, yeah. but also then providing context so it's not not too personal. We hope so. I feel like some people get their backs up as well about it because it probably hasn't happened in the past in that mainstream publications don't really care what influencers are doing really. So we kind of, without intending to, became a bit of a watchdog for yes. influencers doing things that they shouldn't be doing. Mm. and so Which is kind of awesome. Yeah, it is. It's also a scary position to be yeah, in. Yeah, I was going to say. Always, like- <laughs> yeah, I'm always worried they're going to send their followers after us if we say something that they don't like. But yeah. that's fine. That's the risk that you run. Hmm. So just before I move to Natia, because I really want to investigate that whole haters uh, yeah. responding to people's you know, negative responses to particular things. I want to get into that because I think it will have been a big part of your journey. But just before we move on to that, what has been your favorite episode so far and what has been your most controversial episode so far? Probably Ooh. the same one for both, oh, for both oh, of those questions. Really? Yeah, so let's tick them off with one episode. Um, there was... Sorry, Michelle's smiling because she's dead. Do you want to answer it? You go. Uh, well, uh, hashtag ultra tone deaf. Is that yeah. the one we're both Oh, actually, of? yeah, I would say that for sure. Yeah, what were you going to say? I was going to say another one, but now it's actually that one. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, for those who haven't listened, how dare you, it was a segment where we talked about ultra tune and how ultra tunes last three ambassadors have all been accused of violence against women or raping women. I remember that one. And we basically started a social media campaign where people use the hashtag ultra tone deaf to say to brands that it's not okay to support men who have been accused of those violent acts against women. And while that was great, and it's probably one of our most downloaded episodes ever, I think it also sparked a bit of controversy with a lot of people coming back to us and saying things like, well, my dad owns an ultra tune. Uh, what's the word for it? I can't even remember. Uh, it, well, it's a franchise. So it's people a franchise. franchise yeah, he's out. a franchisee. Yeah. What are you saying about his business? He doesn't get to choose the ads, which I understand that. But then you could also say that for so many different things that McDonald's could come out and say that their fries cure cancer. And if you have a McDonald's franchise, that shouldn't be said because you're affecting franchisees. Like it's a it's argument a really that you could take yeah. a million miles and end up nowhere. So that was a really tricky segment. We were terrified of the legalities around that and the risks that we were running, but we thought it was also worth it. 
Yeah, I got a lot of messages, mainly from my siblings saying, <laughs> "Do you are you guys insured for defamation today? And I thought, this is a great little confidence boost on a Monday evening. <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs> so that leads us, of course, to NATA, yeah. which is basically all the challenges that have stood in the way of you guys enjoying the full fulfillment and happiness that your job and your life can allow. So the first one would be, of course, haters and getting any kind of backlash for episodes that come out because you do cover quite controversial topics. So how do you deal with that? How do you moderate the Facebook group and how do you put up a guard that you don't take it personally and it doesn't affect, you know, your next episode or your motivation? How have you dealt with that? Um, it's a funny week that you ask us this in because I had you asked me last week, I would have thought, eh, people give their feedback and sometimes it penetrates and sometimes it doesn't. This week it really has penetrated, me particularly. I felt almost like incessantly trolled. Um, and how not to take it personally I didn't. Like, I did take it personally. Mm. Um, And I think we kind of went into a bit of depth in the most recent episode. And I don't even want to spend too much time on this because the last thing you want to see me seem, like, overly defensive about negative feedback, which is the name of the game. Like, it's going to come. But I think for what we spoke about in the last episode, and we we did address it in a in a podcast episode. And I think the context that we didn't flag, which maybe in hindsight we should have, is the reason that Michelle brought it up. And perhaps she was so protective of me in those moments. Um, and we are very protective of each other because we work so closely together, is the nature of what was going in my life at the time. And I think why I responded so personally. So I had been through a pretty seismic breakup. I wasn't sleeping I have endometriosis, which had flared pretty like spectacularly because of stress. Mm. And I think because I was already on shaky ground, when comments started to come through that I, that I wasn't prepared for, it kind of felt like the floor underneath me had collapsed and I just fell apart like in Michelle's kitchen. And I thought, I don't, I can't do this job if this is what it's going to take. And obviously personal experience had completely colored my response to those comments but because like I said at the start like I'm very private and I don't share much about myself I don't want my personality and my work to be conflated with each other and suddenly they are and it's such a tough one isn't it? yeah and and I think for us that's been a very steep learning curve in the space of months as two people that went into this industry to be journalists um, which the point of that is to not be biased and to have your personality completely removed from your work to have it infiltrate your work and then for suddenly to for people to comment on your work and it to suddenly be about your personality too is weird and jarring and uncomfortable. But it's very good that almost always the the other one of each other, like uh, we're often not on the same page when it comes to these kinds of comments. So one person will be kind of coaching the other yeah. person through. Um, we never fall apart at the same time, I think, as a, responsibility, <laughs> as a responsibility to each other. We just don't. But I don't have an answer to that because I don't not take it personally and either do you. Do, I think yeah, we're too it's, green. It's... Yeah, we are too green. I mean, I did kind of have a few experiences when I was blogging in that obviously you're blogging about personal things. And there was one article that I wrote that had like 200,000 reads on it. So obviously out of 200,000 people, you're going to get a few who just just don't like you or just want to hate you just because they hate you, whatever. They hate the world. Uh, So I have had little dribblings of it across the years, but it wasn't until recently that I really felt the full force of people not liking us almost for the sake of not liking us and I say that not because I don't think there are things that we can improve on of course there are. <laughs> there's a lot there's so much there's so much I'm so we are so open we make a really big effort to be really open to feedback so if someone writes a review saying I feel like Michelle cut Zara off totally fair enough I really love that's, hel- that's helpful I, I want just to hear cut that. her off in yeah. saying that but that is helpful yeah yeah I want to know that like yeah. that's feedback that I can action and that I can be better at and 
that is really helpful to the quality of the podcast and other listeners too who might be feeling that. It is not helpful to say something like, I love Shameless, but you're both really annoying and I don't like your voices and um, the content you (laughs) cover is bad and it's generally not a good time. And that's how it's often framed. The weird thing for me is that they often... I listen? Yeah, they often suck you in with... I love what you girls do or I love shameless, but, and then give a massive all encompassing criticism, which you cannot act on. You don't know how to fix. You don't really have any specifics that you know what they're even talking about. And I think that's been a big thing to overcome as well, that often these troll comments, and I will call them troll comments because they're not to help you they're not yeah. to help you get better at yeah, all they're just to make you feel shit yeah <laughs> they often are as simple it's as i love shameless down. but the quality is really declining and i'm never going to listen again like i think people really struggle sometimes when something is so successful they have a really difficult time some people have a really difficult time in allowing people to get away with the success they deserve too easily which is a really sad thing but it is also a sign that you're doing something really good well it's funny we have had incidents where we feel like someone that we know personally has made a fake instagram account and sent us messages oh my god yeah and we're pretty confident in saying that we know them as yeah, well. yeah because i'm quite naive and michelle will always call me naive like i'll always be like nah no one would do that <laughs> but in this moment we both looked at each other and we thought it's just too specific like yeah. it's just you know what? it's just too yeah. many things adding up which is fine and i would never want to discourage anyone from coming back to us with feedback because i think it makes us better at our jobs. It's it, it helps us so that we don't muck up in the future. Like, for example, someone came to me a couple of weeks ago and said, hey, Mish, I know you didn't mean to do this the way you did, but instead of saying transsexual in the future, can you say transgender? And that person 100% was right to tell me that. And I don't know why transsexual came out of my mouth, but now in the future I will be more diligent to ensure mm. I'm using the right language when and I'm talking was, about a whole group of people. And it was so respectful. That kind of feedback is gold. Please come to us with that kind of feedback. Don't come to me and tell me my voice is annoying. Yeah. Like, what are you going to do about that? Yeah. Yeah. So if you don't like my voice, don't listen to that. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I think that's the stuff though, where that you always go, if you're doing something worthy, if it's worthy enough to bother someone that much, that they'll give you a totally useless, unconstructive criticism that adds nothing to anyone's life, you're doing something worthy. And just the price of that is that 10, 5, 1% of the feedback you get is going to be shit. And then you just have to think, oh, well, I'm obviously, you know, that famous that I'm bothering people enough. You know, I, I think you just got to see it as a compliment. Well, that's the thing. Like Hamish and Andy will be one of the most successful radio duos in Australian history. But there are people out there who think Hamish and Andy are the least funny men on the planet. Yeah. So <laughs> you can't it's not everyone. really indicative of anything. And you can have a really successful movie or a, a t- like chart-topping song and some people out there will hate that song and hate that movie and hate that radio duo Mm. it doesn't really mean much if someone hates us what it does mean is when someone comes to us with legitimate concerns about something we've said or done Mm. i think the biggest lesson i've learned you know i was reflecting when i turned 30 on all the things i've learned in the decade and one of the big things is you can't please everyone Mm. and if you are pleasing everyone then your idea is probably not a concrete it doesn't stand for anything it's just pleasing everyone yeah so it's a good sign it means that you're you know you know who your target audience is and you're not trying to please anyone outside of that so they can just you know whether they take the time to write things on your page or, or not you're not trying to please them anyway yeah and which the, is funny for two people pleasers yeah I know. Get that. <laughs> I know it's so hard so how have you found those moments where things do come back at you like that that might actually be legitimate do you find that self-doubt has been you know that's a really big part of my podcast is talking about the self-doubt that you face firstly when you leave your job secondly when you put something out there that's brand new that no one's done before and then when you sometimes get feedback that's you should change something, you can improve this. 
or, you know, when you have the moment when someone gives you some trolling and you just break down and think it's a personal thing, how do you guys deal with self-doubt? Well, the first thing is, is that we try not to look at the Apple podcast reviews. That's a rule that we've brought in. And that was, wow. Zara broke the rules. That's why you got upset last week because you I was in a, broke. I was in a masochistic, uh, that's not a word. <laughs> you know what I was going for. Yeah. I was in a, um, a mood. That's yeah. for sure. And you almost went, you went seeking It's like self-sabotage. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. So we have self-imposed rules as to the channels that we will and won't take feedback from. And oh, definitely Apple podcast reviews is not a channel where we'll really get our feedback from ever. We'll take it from the wow. Facebook group or email or Instagram DM. I don't think anything productive needs to happen in that Apple podcast feed because it can be really nasty and toxic at separate times. It's hard. I think what Zara said before is that we're really brilliant at picking each other back off the floor. Like our friendship is quite powerful. And I often refer to Zara more like a sister to me. Yeah, it is cute. But we also give each other like it's tough love sometimes. Mm. And it's also we can be blunt with each other. But I think we have a very unique relationship in that we will do what's best for the other one. And we will kind of recalibrate how we feel about something to make sure that we're not we're not ending up in this cesspit where negativity is just bouncing back and forth between us that one of us might be really down and might be really feeling low, but the other one is solutions focused and positive and happy and trying to get them back in the right headspace to be productive and actually get shit done. Cause that's the reality of owning a business, which is what shameless has now become in that we need to get shit done day to day. And Mm. if Zara is having a really bad day, it doesn't help her if I'm then wallowing with her it helps her if I can then pick her up and help her feel better and then get on with it yeah it sort of clicks you into gear a bit like if one person is down you're like well that's not me today like I can't be that one too so I'm gonna (laughs) even if I am feeling shit like I'm gonna pretend that I'm not because that's the role that I have to play yeah um and that's definitely what we've done over the last year almost accidentally but it's sort of become the way that it's worked and a lot of it is tough love I remember the other day when we were sitting in the kitchen and I was feeling sorry for myself like I felt like a small child and Michelle was like (laughs) rattling off all these stats as to why I shouldn't be sad and I was like yeah I get it can I not just stay upset for like five minutes let me feel (laughs) shit about myself (laughs) let me wallow (laughs) so then I guess boundaries is another area where I I would think Natia might come into play firstly in maintaining a business relationship and a friendship which you didn't have to do before because it was a side hustle and it was kind of clearer where your roles lay but also now that you have got a personal profile that's a bit more out there and you do have a lot more public facing opportunities like Mechaland and people know who you are as people they're following you personally on Instagram as well as the podcast how do you guys draw those boundaries have you found it hard to transition into business partners and then to find your friendship separately how have your other friendships kind of evolved with you I don't think it's been hard a hard transition at all because the, our relationship started or the foundations of our relationship started because we were basically working on top of each other yeah um in the least gross way <laughs> I know I was like oh yeah, not like that <laughs> um so because it started like that this is not new like we are very used to working with each other very closely. I mean, I imagine boundaries will get better with time. For one, we communicate almost exclusively on Facebook Messenger and I don't have... um, (laughs) So professional. And I don't have uh, Facebook Messenger notifications on my phone, so I'm not always distracted by that. But if I I will always seek out those messages if I know I need to be in work mode. (laughs) But small things like that, I know that's like the tiniest thing. Um, But also, I mean, we say that we don't talk about work or basically to each other on Sundays, which I broke like three times last Sunday by calling her. Um, (laughs) But there are small things we try to do. But I think when we're so in the startup-y phase of what we want to do, 
the reality reality is it's like there aren't really firm boundaries if if someone says i'm going out for dinner and i'm not gonna be on my phone (laughs) then (laughs) ideally don't contact them for two hours that is the level that we're at yeah where zara will literally be like I'm going to be MIA for 60 minutes and that's like a weird window of time for us to not communicate. <laughs> and you're like, <gasps> literally, I'm time like, is on my phone. I'm going to tell you something about what yeah. happened on Instagram or whatever. Like that's literally the level that we're at now where we need to communicate. If we're going to be at a family function and MIA for an hour plus, you we need to, to flag it. Otherwise, the other one, like, I remember there was a time where I didn't respond to Zara for about 80 minutes and she literally thought I was dead. I know, which is quite dramatic, but it, that's, that's, that's the level you're at. You're like calling me, you're like, oh, thank God you're alive. <laughs> I think that's the nature of startup mode, though, is that you do you eventually want to be able to put boundaries in, but yeah. they have to be different when you're first getting yeah. off the ground, and you have to make sacrifices for yeah. sometimes years at the start that yeah. don't look like how it won't always look that way. But I mean, Nick and I had the same thing. Not only were we friends and dating, then we went into business partners, <laughs> friends and lovers, <laughs> yeah, friends and lovers. But we so we had what you guys had, but then we also went home together at the end oh, of the yeah. day. So when one of us does have to be unavailable, it's even weirder. Because it's like, wait, you're my partner. Like, wait, seven minutes without being able to contact each other? You're not allowed to leave me. I know. I imagine you guys would have had the same problem that we've had because of the nature of your job being so based on current affairs and things like that, that that productivity pressure would just be unbelievable. Like you see something at 11 o'clock at night, you've got to write it down because that's got to be on the next show. Mm. And you sold out your first 255-seat show in like five days or something. That was absolutely... Oh, it was 10 minutes. Oh, my God, 10 minutes. So there's two shows and the second one is 400 people is yeah right? 450 yeah. so you're you've created a community that you know you were producing content on your own time in the beginning but now you're like beholden to what they need and they're they're like insatiable need for your content each week mm. even twice a week now do you feel pressure to be delivering all the time and how do you switch off from that when you do need to just not be on socials like everything you do is digital now so how do you remove yourself from that it's less the pressure to deliver all the time but more the pressure to deliver quality consistently yeah so I don't feel the pressure and I know Michelle doesn't feel the pressure as much anymore to always be in the Facebook group and responding to threads and making sure our opinions are heard though we always need to moderate to make sure they're appropriate but I feel huge amounts of pressure to make sure that shameless is always the priority and the quality never drops no matter how busy we get or how many other projects we take on yeah like that for me is the overriding my overriding concern and I think it is for you too oh absolutely shameless is like our child I consider it that way so it's it's funny I mean we've got so many projects on that we're looking at over the next few months like three to six months are going to be crazy for us but we always come back to the same key goal which is shameless has to come number one Mm. no matter what we're doing for with other brands or working on outside of shameless shameless is number one it is the flagship podcast of what we're doing and we will not let that slip we are so resolute in not letting it slip it's it's tricky i think the amount of time that we have to dedicate towards the facebook group simply approving posts is pretty intense Mm -hmm. it's the biggest drain not the biggest drain as in i don't enjoy it but the biggest time suck Mm -hmm. on my day for sure being on instagram being on facebook and keeping socials engaged and online I Mm. guess because if you're not there approving everyone's posts and you're taking eight hours to let things in it's not current it's not current anymore things when they're breaking news particularly even if it might be that a married at first sight star is pregnant (laughs) people want that in there within the few minutes that they post it so you've got to have all these notifications enabled on your phone and that means your head is constantly semi in that workspace but I think it's also just how we're used to being when we were at Mamma Mia that was almost an expectation as well you basically live and breathe your work and that's how it's been 
been for us since we were 20. So that actually leads really nicely into the last segment, which is called play TA. And I can Mm. imagine maybe that's not as much of a balance that you can strike right now. (laughs) But outside of your shameless selves, shameless selves, (laughs) (laughs) I don't mind it. (laughs) I like it. Mm. I think it is one of the big things in society today with expectations, with goal kicking and all this emphasis on being business owners and growing your business, which is absolutely incredible and being engaged and connected with them all the time. It does make it very hard to leave a part of yourself that's not identified and not enmeshed completely in what you do. And there's also not a lot of hours left in the day to actually do that either. But I think it's really important to keep your ideas fresh and your motivation you know, mm. high is that you do get a little bit of time for things that are just identifying who you are because people lose sight of it completely. I feel like you get a couple of years into your business and you're like, who am I? Like, I don't know myself outside of tea, which is terrible. <laughs> so do you guys leave any space for yourselves that it aren't a podcaster, that aren't a journalist, that aren't, you know, engaging in media all the time. And what do you do when you're in that zone? Like what makes you happy and what brings you joy that's not your work? A big one for me has been going to the gym with my Mm -hmm. boyfriend, Mitch. Uh, I suffer with quite chronic anxiety and I went through a stage of not exercising really at all for probably 18 months. And that was when my anxiety was at its very, very worst. And when I started seeing a psychologist, she said, you need to be exercising. It is an absolute priority. So Mm -hmm. Mitch and I probably go to the gym three to five times a week. And that's definitely our off space where our phones are in our bags and we've got wireless headphones on, which is such a godsend. I always underestimated how important that can be. But that's our time to just disconnect from work because he has quite a high demanding he's got quite a demanding job and so uh he also really struggles with stress as well he's Mm. in the media but on the advertising sales side and so the gym is massive but also to be honest the afl i wow yeah mitch myself my entire family particularly the girls in my family are football mad and i know that sounds ridiculous as if that could be some type of creative or energetic outlet for us but it is one of the happiest times of my week when I sit down and watch I the footy or that. go to the footy with my family or go with Mitch. And I go to multiple games a week. An ideal weekend to me would be not just going to the Richmond game or watching that. It would be going to the Bulldogs game with Mitch or watching that with Mitch. I absolutely adore the AFL. I couldn't I get enough. I love that so much. I think one of the things as you get older and you realize the role of joy and happiness and switching off in your life is that you start to actually listen to the things that you really love. Stop mm-hmm. thinking that they're weird stop caring that they're weird and just embrace them fully and you're like oh yeah i will go to the football like i don't care oh, <laughs> i love it as many games as possible not only that we watch the analysis shows like oh my god <laughs> afl yeah. 360 oh on a tuesday Whoa, when they- 360 view <laughs> literally they get jack rewalt who's oh one of the gosh. richest players oh, on and i yes. absolutely adore every tuesday tune in on oh fox oh, I love it. no but that's just what i it's such a hobby for me and i think that was really instilled in me from my mum. My mum is football mad and my sister's a football mad and it's definitely a family thing that we do together with my mm. little brother. Oh, that's so nice. I'm so not into the football, so I can't <laughs> say that I have a hobby. In fact, I don't really. The way that I do tend to switch off is being around people. Like mm. I, I think I'm an extrovert because the times that I feel most calm or the happiest are either when I'm with my friends or my family or I'm leaving 
a time that I've seen them. So whether that is make, like I do make sure I socialize midweek and on the weekends that I've always got people around me because I love them a lot and I want to be around them. Um, so whether, yeah, whether that is like being on the phone to my best friend who lives in London, like I, that makes me genuinely happy and makes me switch off because I think she's in such a different, like physically in a different space, a different time zone, a different world. Like that's really nice to like pulls you out of it. Totally pulls you out of your own world and into another one or just out for coffee with my other friends or, or I don't know, drinks. It's such a basic answer, but, um, Everybody talks about introverts these days, and nobody think, nobody's <laughs> about thinking the of the extrovert. extroverts. No, not at all. But um, it's the true. basic answers though are the ones that I think people overlook. They're yeah. like it's simple things you can work into your life that yeah. make you happy. It's not a big deal. No, not at all. And and that's the thing that I try to structure into my week all the time, and I notice it when it's not there. Mm. I did also want to come back to Misha's anxiety. I wanted to talk about that a little bit more in NATO, but I'm conscious of the time because we've yucked on for so long. It's been such a lovely chat. That's our fault. Um, no, no, no. Oh my gosh, it was so <laughs> wonderful. But I'm conscious of like you guys being really busy this week because you do have the two shows this week. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you want to read a little bit more about it, you wrote an article, Mish, for Keep It Cleaner this week. Yeah, I've about written about anxiety, anxiety a lot. And yeah. Keep It Cleaner, I worked there for a bit with Lauren, Steph and the girls in that office and basically wrote an article about why I chose to see a psychologist mm-hmm. and I probably wouldn't have done that without my mum pushing me to do so. So mm-hmm. I'm really grateful to the people around me to at least realize that I needed professional help and mm-hmm. it wasn't just something that I'd be able to pull myself out of or that my mum would be able to pull me out of. It needed an actual psychologist to get mm-hmm. through it. So I see one every week yeah, for it's, like five, six years now. It's so important. It's been the biggest form of self-care. I mean, everyone talks about self-care being sheet masks and doing <laughs> yoga. And, and Netflix. That can be, of course, that can be self-care, but self-care to me means getting the right mental health support. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I, I just want to make a conscious effort whenever I'm working in the media or whenever I have a platform to constantly talk about that and that's another thing that I think I'm slowly coming to terms with as well that the correct label for what I'm going through and what I've gone through hasn't always been anxiety either it's anxiety and depression Mm. but I felt like I didn't want to use the label of depression for so long because I feel like that's even more stigma Mm. so I always went oh I've got anxiety because I feel like that's in vogue and that's okay when really that hasn't always illustrated the full spectrum of what it's been so I think that's probably the next step as well that might be the newsletter column this week, Sarah. Who knows now that I talk <laughs> no, about it? No, but I totally – oh, sorry, I just cut you off. No, you're Sorry, right. I've cut you guys off so much. No, we cut each other off all the time. <laughs> um, your writing on anxiety is great, though. I wonder where other people can find it. I mean, that we can plug our newsletter because it's sometimes there, but surely there's a more consistent place for it. Oh, I've just Googled Michelle Andrews' anxiety. I'm yeah, sure true. there's I was going to say, I'll put it in the show notes because no, yeah, I think it's that. really important. Mm. And uh, particularly because I've had exactly the same thing slowly slowly anxiety has become destigmatized which is amazing but there is still another step towards depression which just has that extra clinical like i don't know foreign kind of feel to it that makes you want to not identify yourself with yeah. it as much we're so open now about talking about anxiety but we kind of use that term broadly to encompass everything and then yeah. put depression over there well when i when i say depression i worry that people will be like oh michelle's always sad and down which yeah. isn't the case like no. it's almost like in my down moments i can be really fucking down and really depressed but then there are days probably 29 days a month at the moment because i'm having a really good patch i guess this year where i'm totally fine i have a really sunny disposition but there are days which can be really cloudy and really dark and zara's seen many of them i think where i just haven't been able to get out of the house or Mm. i haven't been able to process my emotions i haven't been able to stop crying on some days where you've seen me at my very very lowest so yeah i mean depression can mean so many different things and i guess anxiety even fits under the banner of depression Mm. when you look at actual diagnostic tools but people really want to keep them separate because there Mm. is this stigma attached to depression still 
I think the other thing that's really important to talk about with it is to also realize the association between very high functioning, overstimulated. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what just fell behind me. (laughs) Me either. Uh, Yeah, very high functioning, overstimulated brains and things like anxiety and depression that it's very, very commonly linked in the, like you can almost pick it in the people that have their brain just operating like that all the time, which is something you've got to, I've had to learn to accept as the burden that comes with the blessing of having a very busy brain is it's just something you have to learn to manage much like a blood disorder or something, asthma, like people take medication for that. People have to have, you know, lifestyle plans that suit that. It's exactly the same thing that we just have to look after our brains where other people have to look after their bodies. I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. Not a a huge deal. (laughs) So second two last questions to finish up. What are the three most interesting things about you that don't normally come up in these conversations? Zara, three most important things or special things or unusual things. What was the question? Interesting, important, just interesting. Like things, because I feel like the same questions get asked very often. I I remember your, I think your fiance said something about his toe or something like that. Or maybe you said something about your toe. Michelle Battersby said that she had like a a weird, weird I've listened to that many episodes that are all now meshing into the one. Yeah. um, There's been some bangers. I think the toe one, yeah, um, Michelle's toe has a name oh yeah i remember this i'm gonna bring michelle if you're listening i'm totally gonna watch it like your little toe or your big toe whatever one it is yeah she's like i can't wear open toe shoes now i'll look out for it you can answer for each other if you want because you guys know you live and work you know you three things about zara oh you always order a three-quarter skinny latte that's not interesting or important people roll their eyes at that coffee order unfortunately which is so sad do you have one about me? Um, do I have one about you? Michelle's not uh, – oh, that was negative. <laughs> I was going to say you're not the greatest. <laughs> no, you can be, you can be negative. You're not the, no, I was going to say you're not the greatest um, with geography. Oh, my – oh, that's She has no one. sense of yeah. spatial you awareness. You could or... literally walk me – I'm not, I'm not exaggerating <laughs> at all. You could walk me 100 metres away from this street and I've been at this yeah. house at least 200 times in my life. Walk me 100 metres away and I would not be able to get my way back. No I have. Yeah. I actually think if I got a brain scan, I'd be missing that area of my brain <laughs> no i'm not exaggerating i think it's that level bad you could it's funny you could spin me around in a circle for example if you ask me right now what way is the city what way is the ocean and the ocean is a street away what way is anything else i could not tell you what way the ocean is right now <laughs> i probably couldn't either so no, don't worry okay, about well, it it's just that yeah. um, <laughs> but no that that always makes me laugh because it still stumps me when i'm we'll be driving out of my street and we'll be going towards the city and she'll be like left or right and i'll be like Oh, I feel like we've done this a lot of times. Yeah, so that's all right. I'm not going to comment. Come on. <laughs> I'll try. I'll try to think of my last one or two. Yeah, I've got two left now. Um, You've got two left. I have a fear of Dr. Seuss. Fear. Yeah, like a crazy, crazy fear of it. I can't deal with like green eggs and ham, and I don't even want to talk about can the hat, all that type of stuff. I hate it. Oh my! God. I've had a, a, an insane fear of it since like I was a characters? very little child. Does it okay. remind you of a like the Grinch or something? It don't all oh, of it. Sorry. That oh. Grinch is Doctor Seuss. Don't oh, is talk it? about it. No, I hate it. Yeah, I but Doctor Seuss's quotes are the best. Yeah. I can't. I have. Is it the color? Like something the must characters? have happened to me as a kid. I don't know. Oh. Something weird <laughs> must have happened. That's yeah. a great one. I cannot stand it. I can't look at it. My children, future children, will never be around Dr. Seuss stuff. I cannot what? cope with it. <laughs> okay. And my last one 
would be <laughs> I used to play netball semi-professionally which oh, I yeah. feel like was a huge part of my life up until the age of 19 where I'd play in um, state netball league and different things like that where it was a huge part of my life probably before podcasting in mm. the media where this has been the replacement but that was what I dedicated all my time towards and that's what I really wanted to be and do wow, that's amazing yeah. I love the Dr. Seuss one that's really <laughs> it's, it's great quality as <laughs> oh no I can't this is actually very very You've hard two left. it's a hard one but it's really interesting because it's where the fun stuff comes out well the one that I've written about um, in our newsletter is the fact that Michelle threw me un- under the bus a couple of months ago <laughs> when she told everybody that I didn't like dogs. Oh, babe. I know. And it's I might so, have to pull this it's the It's the most <laughs> unlikable trait in anyone. Like, it's so unlikable. And it's not that I don't like them. I just don't have much of affiliation with them. Like, if yeah. I walk past a dog, I can very easily walk past a dog without patting it. Whereas I, think, oh, like, I yeah, cannot no, yeah. walk past a dog without patting it. Zara has to, like, stand there awkwardly like, while, I, while <laughs> I meet the dog. <laughs> so there's that. Um, and third one, what do I do with myself? I don't know. Me like, Do you have pet peeves? Do you have allergies? Do you have like strange party tricks? Um, I like weird <laughs> skills. I mean, I hate traffic, but I know that is <laughs> pretty universal. <laughs> but I just, but like, I'm impatient. I'm incredibly impatient. Um, and so that manifests oh, in you, traffic. You have to run on time. Not only on time, oh, you, you have to be 15 minutes early. Oh, my God. And I was everywhere that we go. I'm so sorry. No, no, no. no. Not, about, not like that. She though. doesn't hold other people to that. Oh. Just me and just her. It's just because you. we're arriving at the same place at the same time. Yeah, Michelle's She's right. anal about the time. But to the point where I try not to let people know. Like, I try to be down to earth on time. Oh, yeah. Not okay. like extreme on time. Like, I would never expose myself as a super on time person. You can almost so you're just sit in the car and wait. Oh, totally. Go yeah. get a coffee, go for a walk. But you'll, oh, also, yeah, you'll also be super annoyed on the insides. You'll kind of be like twitching. Like, I want to get there. Hurry the fuck up. Yeah, Michelle's not wrong. That's, <laughs> That's amazing. It's a good trait though. Um, Better that than late. Yeah. Yeah. Is it though? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows, truly. <laughs> All right. Very last question since I love motivational quotes so much. Mm-hmm. What are your favorite motivational quotes? Uh, it's not the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the fight in the dog. Wait, Wait, did I get that right? Yeah. The dog. <laughs> Stumbled at the very end. No, I really like that. I mm-hmm. learned that when I was playing netball because we had to come up with an inspirational quote. And I just think it doesn't matter what size you are or who you are. It matters how much you fight for it. Totally. Motivational quotes. This is hard. I'm really not a quote person. The, actually, funny you ask. The only quote that I've ever really, that's really stuck to me was one in like the last six months, which I wrote about very recently, which I don't think is particularly motivational, but it like <laughs> was the first, quote. <laughs> but it was the first time that I'd read a quote and it had actively informed my decision making after it. Oh. Um, it was like a seed, I think. Um, and the quote was, until you make the unconscious conscious, it will direct your life and you will call it fate. And I think given the space that we're in now and that we're trying to sort of be self-aware and not try to be in ruts and try to take new, like take risks and make hard decisions, that kind of hit me like a ton of bricks. Um, and I really liked it. So I've held on to that ever since because I, I don't want to ever feel like I'm in too comfortable a space where I'm not challenging myself or trying to get new things out of myself. That's amazing. That's a great one. I've never heard that before, but no, it's so true. It's a good quote. You look pretty impressed with yourself Yeah, she's right pretty now. happy with Because I'm not a quote person, so I was going to answer that terribly if I hadn't read that quote three months ago. <laughs> well, that was fate. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much, girls, for joining and all the very best for the live show this week. Thank you so much. Oh, oh God. my gosh, how exciting. Where hopefully Zara doesn't 
painful. Me, yeah, so this is the thing. I, that is the kind of thing that she I would do. Fall. I would trip up a stair and not in a cute Jennifer Lawrence way, just in like a not fun way. In a way where she'd like bash her shin and there'd be blood everywhere. <laughs> yeah, we're hoping it's not going to be a fire festival set up that I'm it all goes sure to I'm sure it plan. won't be a fire festival, don't you worry. But um, this will probably come out after it so I can give everyone in the outro a little update on how it went. Oh, thank oh. you. <laughs> and I'm sure you won't have fallen, so um, don't worry. I'll, yeah, I'll let you know that too. Fingers crossed. Uh, <laughs> what a pleasure to swap sides with these amazing women. I loved being on Shameless as an in-conversation guest last year, so it was lovely to have them as guests on CZA in return. Sadly, I wasn't able to attend the live shows last week, but I hear they were incredible, which is absolutely to be expected, and perhaps some of you were lucky enough to attend. Apparently, Zara didn't fall, which is pretty amazing, so (laughs) if you don't listen to the podcast yet, I'll pop the links in the show notes and cannot recommend that you get on it more highly. As always, please take a screenshot of you listening in and share some of your takeaways tagging Shameless and CZA so we know what you think. Those screenshots and shares are absolutely the highlight of my day. Hope you're having an amazing week and are seizing your yay.